This is Tracy Eiler, co-author of Aligned to Achieve, How to Unite Your Sales and Marketing Teams into a Single Force for Growth, and you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Tracy Eiler, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Cheers. How are you? Cheers, Doug. How are you? I'm doing well. Great. Great. And now you're in uh, the Northern California area? Exactly. San Carlos, which is about 20 miles south of San Francisco. Okay. Well, What's going on in your quarantine world and what's what's changed besides the fact that you haven't been able to get your hair cut for a while? Yeah, it's been quite a long time. I've got a mop going. You know, family's really healthy. That is the best part, you yes. know, uh, all around the country. So I'm super grateful. Uh, my son just graduated high school and is going to be an Oregon duck in the fall. So that's <laughs> exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll see how that how they reopen and all, but that's planned. And then we have a puppy who's going to be a year old in a couple of weeks. We decided to get a dog last fall and um, she's a golden doodle named Coco. So we're, we're busy with all of those things plus work. Well, and that sounds like a good uh, preemptive empty nester move. It was exactly. That's exactly. My husband just said, you're going to be a wreck. He's our only one. Um, we need to do something. So <laughs> oh, my <laughs> goodness. Coco. Yeah, I, so we have two, and I can remember when the first one was going on. The our son, when he was going off to school, I, I really did. There was about a six week period in the end of his senior year where I was starting to realize things were going to change because I liked having him around so much. And then same thing happened with our daughter. So you'll get there, Tracy, and we're we're here for you. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And then in the meantime, I've I've been doing some new research that builds on the original book when you and I first met. All those years ago. So yes, yes. So let's let's remind listeners. Uh, let me explain. You were on episode ninety three, and last week I published episode two eighty one. Holy so crap! You, yeah, well, there's nothing else to do. And uh, you, this was October of twenty sixteen, and I was so uh -huh. excited. I I hunted you down and stalked you as as I should because I so much wanted to. Um, interview you about this book because it is one of my favorite, favorite topics. Um, but for folks that haven't listened to that episode, uh -huh. tell them who you are and, and what you do and uh, what, what Inside View does. Absolutely. So, uh, so I am a lifelong B2B marketer. I mean, literally got my first job when I was 16 as a sales development rep in a software company. So I've just grown up in this world of B2B tech and marketing in particular. 
And the whole time I've been obsessed with sellers. Uh, for the last five years, I've been CMO at Inside View, and we are a B2B data company that helps companies clean their CRM data and keep their account data targeted in the right shape. And about a year into that uh, role, I partnered with my enterprise sales VP, Andrea Austin, to co-author the book you're talking about, Align to Achieve, which Wiley published in September of 2019, the, the month right, you know, the month uh, before your podcast interview. 20, 2016, yeah. 2016, yes. I'm sorry. My apologies. Four years ago. And um, and since that time, Doug, it has sold more than 20,000 copies, I'm very proud to say. Congratulations. I, no, I, I knew that it would be a good move for talking to customers, but I didn't really realize um, kind of the nerve that it would pluck of so many people because it's all about sales and marketing and why we are so fundamentally um, misaligned and then what companies can do through people issues, uh, technology and process improvements to get those teams working in the same direction, going together to drive growth. Um, and it's a really resonant topic, especially now where people are really trying to figure out how to pivot in the COVID world. Yes, and we'll we'll talk about that. Now I have to disclose fully that you have been traveling with me quite a bit. And what I what I say what I mean by that is when I go and give presentations cuz a lot of organizations are saying, "Well, what are some of the big ideas from those, you know, first <laughs> 250 books or whatever?" Or, you know, various presentations that I'm delighted to give. Uh, in fact, some of them, they've asked, can you talk to us more about sales and marketing alignment? Well, obviously, your book plays kind of a starring role there. But mm -hmm. uh, there's, a, you know, there's a picture of you and a picture of the book, and it's up on the screen. And there's also a little picture of a pipeline there, uh, which we'll talk, oh, awesome. we'll talk about that. Yeah, but I've been talking about that book uh, a lot. And like I say, it's one of my favorite topics. And I was delighted to see you endorsed an, really only the second book I've had on about sales and marketing alignment, which was um, Jeff Davis's book, uh, oh, Creating yeah. Togetherness. So yes, that, and that yeah. was, that's more recent uh, than mine. So he's got some new ideas in there, which I think are really great. Yeah. And he had a slightly different strategy. He said he wanted a CEO to be able to read this in one plane flight. And yours was a little more comprehensive. And one of the many things I remember from your book is that at the end of every chapter, you said, <laughs> if you don't do anything else, <laughs> just yes, do, do this. It was like the, yeah. uh, it was the epitome of a practical that. guide. Totally. And I tell people, look, no one has time to read a book cover to cover unless you're convinced it's going to be useful. So look at the last page on all of these things. And then, um, are you snapping your fingers at the dog? I am. I'm so sorry. This is a dog-friendly podcast, just so you know. Luke, <laughs> she just peed on the floor. I just need to pause, Doug. I am so sorry. No, no, no. Not at all. I'm back and a little bit out of breath. I am so embarrassed and sorry, but I know not at all. <laughs> and she hasn't had an accident in the house in probably six months. So, oh, well, I'm familiar with those. So, oh my goodness, I gotta catch my breath. Okay, okay, so we're back. So, Tracy Eiler, I appreciate you explaining uh, who you are, what you do, and and what Inside View has done. And we're gonna talk about the the recent um, research, but there's more to Tracy Eiler. Okay, than just what she said, listener. Okay, she is a uh, Michigan grad, and I'm always tickled when I uh, look back on my notes and find that she was Tri Delta sorority house manager and was voted most 
feared. Oh God, you're gonna bring year. that up. <laughs> so should I should I should I be afraid? You don't need to be afraid, but just imagine <laughs> living in a hundred and fifty year old house with three stories and eighty teenage women or twenty year old women. Um, and you know, trying to make that work. Uh, so I earned the I earned that badge and I'm very proud of it. And in fact, I bury it in my bio on LinkedIn because I know someone's really done their research when they find it. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> well, to me, Tracy, it sounds like it was a coping mechanism because I don't think I would have been able to to do that. But I'm, you know, a, an older guy and I just, uh, you know, the, kid, <laughs> the kids these days. But anyway, no, my kids are just a little bit older than, than your son. But um, at any rate, well, listen, I really uh, wanted to talk about this new study that you all just released. And as we record this, you're going to do a webinar yep. uh, with uh, someone from Forrester, I believe. Yeah, Mary Shea, who oh, runs right. all of their sales effectiveness research. Um, and I asked Mary to join me because I want to unveil the research and then I, I can provide marketing's perspective, but I really wanted someone who could provide sales perspective. Mm-hmm. So she's going to join me in that webinar tomorrow and will be available you know, as a recording. And there's a whole ebook and everything available at the Inside View website. So people can come grab it. Yeah. What we'll do is on this episode's show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com, we will include a link for where people can by by then uh, watch the recorded webinar as well as a link to the landing page where they can download this. But title of the research is, now you were actually going to come on earlier, but you said, wait a minute, Uh, we got something really good coming up. Let me wait uh, a week or two and then uh, we'll talk about that. And the, the study is Unlocking Revenue Performance in the New Normal, which sounds pretty timely to me. Uh, It says the new 2020 data on what companies can do to align sales, marketing, and operations. And this was fielded uh, as the coronavirus was catching hold. It was. We put it out at the beginning of, of February and then closed it at the end of March. So we had about eight weeks of data collection and it really couldn't have been more timely. We didn't plan it that way, but coincidentally, we're able to, you know, hit more than 400 respondents at a time that they were really trying to figure out what in the world they were going to do um, to protect their revenue, to try and hang on to some growth, and so on. And the data, um, the research is all based on the original research from Align to Achieve in 2016, and then we've built upon it a couple more times, and then this is really the largest study that we've done since then. Uh, There's a whole track for operations asking about issues around data because we kept hearing sales and marketing leaders say, my data is a mess. I can't target correctly or I can't score correctly, Um, you know, things of that nature. So there's a lot of rich content in there about what companies are doing. And then some interesting trends, you know, from leaders, because we asked folks, you know, hey, if you're continuing to exceed revenue goals, what are you doing? And there's some key things. Well, I ate it up. I read all 26 pages of it. I just couldn't get enough. And I was just, you know, I was just, uh, well, let, let me mention, There's a there, you just mentioned a couple of them. Um, one of the big ones was that just jumped off the page at me was uh, 54% uh, of respondents said marketing and sales operations will merge into one revenue operations team, I guess, in the next year. Yeah, was, that was- I was amazed. I was amazed. I was kind of surprised too, but it, but when you think about some of the other things that sales and marketing say they're going to do, for example, work much more tightly together on figuring out their target accounts to pursue instead of doing things in silos. That's one example. Another example is um, 
everyone is prioritizing, every persona is prioritizing CRM data quality. So your Salesforce or your Microsoft Dynamics data quality, they're all prioritizing it, you know, 71% highly prioritizing it, but yet they don't quite have, have a plan for what to do. Um, so that tells me, okay, so you get all the smart people together in one team, you call it revenue operations, and then they together can figure out what they need to do across the whole funnel. Now, have you, I think you said this is the first time you've you've done this particular one, or you, this is an updated version of a study you've been yeah, doing? Yeah, it's an updated. So for the 2016 Align to Achieve, that was based on original research. We've reran that twice now, Doug. This is the second of the rerunning okay. um, using a lot of the original content plus a bunch of new stuff. So it builds on the old and then adds more. Okay, so then... In past studies, do people say something is a high priority and then still don't do anything about it? Um, generally speaking, no. There there seems to be a good correlation between, for example, uh, sales and marketing teams saying they want to prioritize account-based marketing and then doing something, right? It might mm. not be everything they envisioned, but doing something. This one, though, um, has quite a disconnect between how highly ranked people are putting their CRM data and how many aren't doing anything yet. It's like they don't even quite have a plan. More than half are either doing something manually or not at all. Um, and, you know, I think we can uh, safely argue from looking at the data, combining this dirty data issue and desire to fix it along with the second thing, which is sales and marketing. Um, the leading companies have agreed on target accounts but many others really haven't. And they're running account-based marketing and selling in sort of parallel, um, which it, it can't be good for anybody, right? So you take <laughs> all of that together and you say, okay, we really need a good plan for making sure we know what our ideal customer is in this COVID world. We know which accounts exactly we should be pursuing and which ones might be at risk. And there's ways to figure that out. And then keep your data clean along the way as you go because data decay is super fast. Everybody knows that. So you mentioned Dirty Data, which, of course, I couldn't get that song from Dirty Dancing out of my head as soon as I read that in the report. <laughs> what is Dirty Data? What that means to me, it seems to be the phrase most people use, but what I believe everyone is talking about is you go into your CRM, your customer relationship management system, and you go and you look at an account and you find duplicates. That's classic example of dirty data. Another example would be that your account firmographics are all screwed up. Your employee accounts are wrong or the revenue is wrong. Um, that would be another example. A third example could be something in the mechanics of your processes. So you think about lead to account mapping. Um, we all know in B2B buying, often there is a large buyer group. We found at Inside View that on average, there's more than 34 people at an account that are engaging with us in one way or another before they buy. So 34? Thirty-four. A little, a little higher number than I heard from uh, CEB Gartner. Yeah, you're right. CEB Gartner's latest thing is like five point four people. I don't know how they got the fraction, but different studies. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm guessing what they mean, Doug. I'm guessing though, to just to bat their corner for a second. I'm guessing they mean who is in the decision group. That's what I'm guessing they mean. And when and when I'm using that term buyer group, I'm talking about anybody that is interested in anything that we had to say. Right. So there right. might be researchers four levels down from the buyer who's a VP that are shortlisting and watching product videos and, you know, looking at competition and stuff mm -hmm. like that, which yeah. happens in every company, right? You go to your lieutenants to do research. So we were looking at it from that standpoint. When you think about lead to account mapping, though, what do you do when that 
35th person comes through, do they get tied correctly to let's pretend Acme, the imaginary company, or do they get processed like a separate, um, a, a separate sales interest altogether, which would be ri ridiculous, but it does happen, right? In companies all the time. So that would be another example of dirty data that really affects your processes. So I would say those are all great examples of things that happen every day that slow sales efficiency down and make marketing have problems when they're trying to execute campaigns. Yes, it said uh, salespeople waste over 27% of their time due to bad data and two thirds of companies are doing little to nothing yep. <laughs> to keep their sales and marketing data clean. What can companies do to start uh, cleaning up their sales and marketing data? Well, you know, the thing that bugs me about this data, Doug, is how highly prioritizing people are putting the CRM data quality, but yet doing nothing. It just puzzles me, right? Like, well, why would that be? Is it because they don't know what to do or they think it's too hard? Or maybe it just never makes it high enough on the priority list because there's other burning fires. So the first thing I think people should do is think about that that sales inefficiency and put some real numbers behind it. And in the ebook and webinar, I, I show a calculation we did ourselves using our sales development team of 10 yes. people. And the math is it was super a fortune. Easy. It was it was a fortune. It's super easy, um, you know, to figure out. But we found out that you know, with just a twenty percent inefficiency quotient, and you were quoting a twenty seven percent. So you think of, you know, one in five so hours the is wasted. Out there, yeah, yeah, you know, one in five hours is wasted. You know, trying to dedupe accounts and find the right thing to work on and look up phone numbers and all this stuff. And in our, you know, in our simple math example, it was 8 million of annual pipeline and 1.6 million of revenue. If you just assumed you'd close one in five of the, of that pipeline, right? So really conservative math. So I think people need to start with the value statement. Um, after that, there's very practical things they can do. They can, they can do an assessment of the quality of their data. And that's things simply like how much of our data is old, how much of it um, is duplicate. Uh, do we have account firmographics correct revenue industry and so on and so on. Um, that's a, a very specific one. And then keep having a plan to keep it clean is really important. Mm -hmm. And then I'd say the second thing is really reassessing your target accounts. I'm sure many of your listeners have some piece of their business that's um, account-based. And taking a fresh look at those accounts in a COVID world is really critical because some businesses are have been almost destroyed and other ones are thriving, right? So how do you figure out within your own targets where you should focus your time or double down or where you should back away? Um, you know, we've worked with a variety of customers. I'll give you one really cool example. You know, the storage container company Pods uh, in the yeah, US? I see them all over the place. Yeah. So their core business is basically dropping off those portable storage units for businesses and individuals like you and I that want to move homes or, you know, empty your room out and put or it in like, storage. For a while. Or like you who might move to another state. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so um, someday for sure. So what POTS has done has is they have said, okay, wait a second. In With the COVID emergency and with the changes in the economy and the restaurant industry, for example, and other things, how could those portable storage units be used differently. And so they're, they are using them as um, pop-up uh, COVID testing centers outside of neighborhood urgent cares. So, you know, you imagine your little kid, it's in the middle of the night and you're going to take them to urgent care because they have an, an ear infection. You don't want to go to, into a waiting room and be sitting next to someone who's waiting for a COVID test, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. So a pod storage container that's retrofitted outside in the parking lot can be the portable place where they're quarantining and taking tests 
while the rest of the business continues. That's a, a great example. Another one is um, uh, many um, public libraries now have book quarantine in place for seven or 14 days when you uh, return books, right? And not many people know that, but it makes sense, right? You wouldn't just dump all your books in a normal bin to be mixed up with everybody else. So imagine seven pods units in the parking lot of your public library and the Sunday books go in the first one and the Monday books go in the second one. And after seven days, the librarians come out and empty them out and bring them back and put them on the shelves. Um, that's just a great example of something that pods has done to figure out, okay, how can we continue to thrive? Some smart people at pods and sales and marketing did that work, right? Mm. So that kind of work is something that sales and marketing can do today to really take a look. And there's many signals and data. You can get all sorts of information about who's hiring, who's furloughing people. Um, you know, are, do they have COVID in the news associated with their newsfeed? Things like that that can help you analytically look at this. Um, and I think it's a really important tactic. I got the impression that ownership of the data is one of the factors contributing to dirty data. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I think that's true. We One of the questions we asked was, who owns CRM data quality in your company? And, it looks and like it was pretty got, evenly distributed. Evenly distributed against everything, right? So, <laughs> right. you know, sometimes it's sales operations, sometimes it's marketing operations, sometimes it's the information technology department and so on, right? So there doesn't seem to be clear ownership or someone that walks around with part of their job description being keep our data clean and fresh at all times. Um, and I think that's going to start to change as, as revenue operations becomes the central team, but also as, you know, sales and marketing people really realize what a blocker it is for them and their efficiencies of the effectiveness of their teams. Um, and, you know, we, I as CMO may not own all that data, but man, I sure have a voice at the table if I amplify it enough, which is why I've done the ROI work and things like that so that it, I can really show what the impact is. And it's not just, you know, making something less painful. It means let's turn this into an asset. So earlier I mentioned that I show a picture of you and the book cover uh -huh. because I interviewed you, not because I'm trying to, you know, uh -huh. get Andrea out of the picture here. Hi, Andrea. And uh, <laughs> the uh, I also have a picture of this beautiful pipeline on there. So can you remind listeners what pipeline is and why yeah. that is a more effective metric uh, than generated leads? for yep. sales and marketing alignment. Absolutely. And this is a, such a critical point of the original book, but also the subsequent research. So if we think of the, the first time buyer journey looking like a classic funnel, and we all know that model, we've all been taught that model. <laughs> Which um, doesn't exist. And, well, and the funnel now it, looks like a modern art masterpiece. It does. But let's just keep it really simple, right? Please, you become thank aware. You. Thank you. You become aware. You start to get information. You decide to try. You buy. You buy again, right? Very simple. And somewhere along in there um, will be a category or stage that sales and marketing calls pipeline. In our company, it's where something goes from a marketing qualified lead to something that sales accepts. And they say, yep, this is a potential opportunity for me. I'm going to move it into sales stage one called opportunity in our CRM. And there is a pipeline or dollar value associated with that opportunity, which is our best guess at the beginning, right? Let's sure. pretend our average sales you know, deal is 50K. So it gets put in there as a placeholder. But it, 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 to me, the, the litmus test, Doug, is 
what does sales believe that this account, that this opportunity is worthy of their time? If so, it is pipeline. So whatever that means in your company. <laughs> and, and that I believe is the metric that sales and marketing must align around and agree to. And, and that marketing must be measured by and compensated by. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little bit of a controversial thing to say because most marketers will say, well, I can't control what happens when the salesperson starts working on this. You know, I can't control whether, you know, the leads I'm generating are actually going to have the budget and all the rest of it. And, and I say, you know, yes, you can with the best targeting possible and the right message and the partnership with sales on what makes something worth their time. Um, you absolutely should be tied to that metric and compensated. And so when we have our sales and marketing meetings that we call smarketing, as you know, um, the first thing we do is look at pipeline and we don't just look at total pipeline. Like, you know, let's pretend you want a three or four X coverage on the uh, revenue number for the quarter, um, which would be common. We don't just look at total pipeline. That's a starting place, of course, but we also look at the distribution across sales reps. So say you have 20 sales reps, you don't want there to be a feast with some and famine with others, right? So really looking at different elements and dimensions of pipeline. Sometimes you want to look at product pipeline. Let's say you have a new product introduction and you really want to see how that's taking off. So those things are really important. It doesn't mean marketing still doesn't look at raw leads or impressions on the website or anything like that. Of course we do. But we don't go to sales with those numbers and declare victory that we're doing our job. Right. We it doesn't stop. Go to sales with pipeline. It doesn't stop with generated leads. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. hey, here are some leads. Good luck with that. There's one more thing to say about pipeline that is uh, uh, not as obvious, which is if you as a marketer are having any kind of alignment problem with your sales team and you show them that you're willing to sign up for a pipeline number, not just a lead number, it will do wonders for your credibility with them and for making Mm -hmm. them feel like you have skin in the game and that you're partners. Yes. Now, a sales accepted lead, though, requires an agreement on the ideal customer profile. ICP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, maybe I, because I deal with smaller companies, but it just, I still can't believe that so many companies, sales and marketing can't get together and agree on what a good lead is, not to mention our, which accounts are we going after? I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still amazed at, at, at those two things. Yeah, I, I'm amazed by it too. It continues to be common. I, I, you know, I don't think it's happening because people are dumb. I think they're well-intentioned and want to do the work, but then the urgency of the moment or the creative idea for a campaign or a new message you want to test or something more tactical gets in the way of taking the time. So I always tell folks, you got to set time aside to talk to sales about your ideal customer and your target account list. And it doesn't mean once a year, it's really something you should be talking about at least quarterly on a formal basis. And some of this helps when you can actually report on what's going on with those accounts. Um, you know, we can do a better job of that now with marketing technology and data um, services that allow us to really show activity. Like the webinar that I'm about to do with Mary Shea um, on this research, I was just looking earlier today at the campaign report and sharing it with our sales teams on here's all the accounts that are signed up and the people in those accounts, because that's what the salespeople care about. They care about their accounts. They don't care about all the others. And being able to serve that to them in that digestible way, I think helps reinforce why it's useful to really spend that time together. In your experience, is there some commonality with uh, companies that understand the importance of sales and marketing alignment, like uh, 
a certain attitude the CEOs have or the management? Is there is there yes. some common thread of yes. those companies that are who are getting it right? Yes, absolutely. To, to illustrate what's getting it right, I'll tell you a story of how it goes wrong. I have personally worked for at least three CEOs in my career, and I have a storied career of many decades, but at least three CEOs have literally told me that they wanted sales and marketing to be battling with each other. One literally said, I want you guys to fight because I want there to be healthy tension, air quotes around those words, um, because we'll get a better result. And I think that's baloney. Uh, to me, that's just a Darwinian falsehood that says, okay, if they fight, you know, the greatest woman will win. That's just stupid, right? All you're going to do is hurt each other and slow revenue down. Um, so I really, an employee churn. Oh, it's horrible. But, you know, whenever I tell that story, when I'm talking to people about the findings in my book, I, people laugh very nervously because they've all been in those rooms where mm. the CEO is pretty divisive and, you know, kind of doing point counterpoint, trying to hold sales and marketing, um, you know, kind of at odds with one another. And again and again, I see this and I hope, it, I mean, I hope it's just a Silicon Valley thing, but I see it again and again where the company will start having trouble meeting their number. Marketing will get blamed first by sales and then sales will, the sales leader will get um, eliminated maybe a quarter or two later. So the marketer ends up, you know, um, getting removed. The person that has my job gets removed first. And then a quarter, maybe four months later, the sales leader will leave. So it buys them a little bit of time to have that adversary versus the situation that Andrea and I have been in where it's like, okay, we might have a shortfall in this area. Here's our plan together, Umberto, our CEO, what we're going to do about it. And who wouldn't want to hear that, right? Like that's what you want your leaders to do. Um, but there really are, there is an attitude among some CEOs that, that really feel like um, the teams need to fight and compete with each other. And I find it with engineering driven companies, very commonly, I see that. Uh-huh. Um, and, and also with first time entrepreneurs, it just seems to be a thing. <laughs> that's, that's so interesting. And yet, uh, one of the things that I, I just I talk about a lot, and I saw in your book, and I even you you put it in here. So in a certain way, <laughs> this this report was like a, kind of like a greatest hits compilation, <laughs> no, with new data, with all new songs, <laughs> yeah. 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 But it was uh, serious decisions uh, found that strong alignment results in nineteen percent faster yeah. revenue growth and fifteen percent higher profitability. Yep. It sounds like that's just falling on deaf ears. You know, I just think sales and marketing alignment's hard, Doug. I don't think that I don't think that people aren't listening, not not based on the response that I get whenever I talk about the subject. I just think it's really flipping hard and you have to be really diligent about it. And you know, I'm married to a sales VP. Um, in fact, you know the story in my book, I have a little secret. Um, at the beginning of the book, Aligned to Achieve, there's a story about me taking a new job as a my first CMO gig. Mm-hmm. And I went to meet the sales VPs, and there were five of them. They each ran a different industry. And, and you were like the third marketing person in a year. I was the fourth in three <laughs> years. And I go over to shake their hands and say hello, and they will not shake my hand. And they were the the the, the ringleader of that story is the guy that I married, Randall. Um, wow, you and, are good at sales and marketing at time, alignment. At the time, he was just like, okay, you know that term in the military, FNG? I can't say it on air, but it's stands for the F new guy. Uh Um, That's who I was to them, right? I was just yet another person coming through that was going to be gone in no time and and put them at risk. Um, And that's what I had to overcome. But it's, um, it's a real story. And and, uh, I see what he goes through every quarter. 
and sales has pressure on them that mar- marketing has pressure, but not like that. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like it's something that it's not a deaf ears situation. It's just really hard. And sales has got the number right ahead of them quarter to quarter. I feel like it's up to us marketers to keep, keep at it, right? Like the tortoise, right? We got to just keep yes. at it, keep talking, keep meeting, keep making it better. And you know, th- one of the things uh, from your book that I've, I, I took away that I've, I've seen in other uh, books about different topics though, that you don't have to get this a hundred percent right. If you just start no. getting some of it right, totally. it's going to start working for you. Totally. And that's why the tortoise is a good, a good example. I think, you know, um, a certain amount of, uh, you know, leadership on the part of marketing, meaning, you know, leading your organization, even though you don't have the the responsibility for them. And I remember Tracy Eiler, <laughs> I interviewed you we met, I mentioned that story from the book because I thought that was such an interesting story. And I said, you know, it reminds me of that movie Platoon or Band of Brothers where <laughs> the, the actors who are playing the soldiers and the replacements come in, they don't really That's want to right. get to know them well just because it's, right. it's too hard to see them get killed and the new soldiers often get killed sooner. And then anyway, we did the interview. And then after the interview, you said, Doug. I ended up marrying that guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah. now to the marketing book podcast listeners, she's very forthcoming. <laughs> the last yeah. time she didn't share that, but this time uh, yeah. she did. I've been a little shyer about it, but um, but it, it just makes for such a great punchline. And it's true. And I do live with this guy at the end of every quarter. And I see what the pressure looks like. So my empathy bar has really, really, really increased. Tracy, one other thing from the book has just really seared itself into my consciousness, and I talk about it all the time, and I want you to explain it now that I have you here. And that is this mantra that went through the book of sales can't do it alone and marketing exists to make sales easier. Mm -hmm. I can tell you where I learned that uh, phrase, uh, which is from a guy named Dave Kellogg, who has a phenomenal blog called Blog. Um, and Dave was CMO of Business Objects, and I was VP of Corporate Marketing. Uh, this is going back to, you know, circa 1990. And um, and he really taught me that marketing has to get inside the head of the seller and be there to make sales easier. Um, but not to be a doormat, by the way. I yes. added that part to the phrase. It doesn't mean um, marketing is getting coffee for sales. No, or that we're just taking orders about what they think a good campaign would be, right? Like we need to be the really fabulous waiter at the restaurant who says, Mr. Burdett, no, I don't think you should have the lamb tonight because this, the filet of sole is so amazing. You should have that instead, right? Like that's the experience that, you know, <clears throat> marketing should be delivering. And sales can't go it alone. And, and, and sometimes they think they can because they haven't had a, a marketing team that was actually really adding value in the perspective that they think marketing should add value, right? So we have to get inside their heads and understand what's going on. My best tip, and I learned this from Dave, is if you go into a company and sales is hostile, go on a listening tour, talk to everyone you can, go and sit in the bullpen. I did that when I first came to Inside View. I went and sat in the sales bullpen and just minded my own business, but just you know hung around them and listened. And then when you're an executive, go and crash those sales leadership meetings, ask to go sit on the forecast call as a silent participant, as a listener, not as somebody who's going to go pontificate. And the more you do that, and the more you show them that, you know, you are in their world, and then aligning around pipeline is a great example, it really helps. And that's what I did uh, at that company that, you know, that that story comes from that's now very funny, but at the time was horrifying, Mm -hmm. you know, first day on the job. Um, 
But, you know, I just really figured out I got to get in the seat with these folks and understand what's hard and then make my priorities around that. And then we'll slowly, slowly, slowly improve. Um, And that's the hard part, right? The improvement doesn't happen overnight. And often you have that pressure of what impact are you making right away. So you really have to balance what you can do that's short term and tactical with what foundation you need to lay for, you know, the real growth, which so I think it's operating at the strategic level, what are your accounts and how are you measuring? And then at that tactical level, like how are we going to drive revenue this quarter, because that's what sales is measured by. So to make sales easier, is one aspect of that making buying easier? You know, that's a really good point. I think you're right. Um, you know, there's some other research I've read recently about what buyers are expecting. Um, and more and more and more is happening digitally. It's all getting accelerated. And I think you are right that the more that we can make the buying experience easier, the shopping experience easier, the whole thing's going to flow, right? And I think the role of sales is changing because that buyer is more and more and more educated when they come to the seller. They stay anonymous for so long, right? <laughs> um, it's like until the bitter end, right? It's yeah. like, I know what I want to buy. I know what I'm willing to pay. I've already looked at the competitors. Okay, let's do a deal, right? Um, I'm oversimplifying because in buyer groups, it never works that way. But, um, but I think you're onto something. I think it's true that the more we can make that buying process better, you know, more information. And that leads to tactics, right? Like, do we still gate our contact? Do we hide things behind forms anymore? Do we just say, hey, you got it all because I know that you're just going to give me a Mickey Mouse title anyway. Right. And fewer and fewer people seem to be filling out forms. Yeah. I mean, it's a trend, right? So that's an example of something where you just believe you're going to give everything. And then when the buyer wants to engage, they will, which is why things like conversational marketing are really good. We've Mm -hmm. been testing... um, a bot on our chat bot on our website. And it's not a robot. It, there's humans right there. And when you come to the site, if we've cookied you, we route you to the person that you've worked with before and really are trying to give that white glove treatment so people feel really welcome and efficient. And I think that's a piece of it. It's a very good point. Oh, I saw that today. And I was mm-hmm. impressed that it said it's a real person. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> that's That tingling means it's working. I was impressed. I think it even showed the pictures of the people there. So I was uh-huh. like, oh, I was going to. Yeah, those are stock photos. Those are actually real live people. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh-huh. good because if everyone who's listening has probably had some frustrating <laughs> experience with a chatbot and, you know, they're getting better. And there was actually a very good book on the podcast a while back called Conversational Marketing by David Cancel and Dave Gearhart. It was, uh-huh. it was very, uh, very interesting. So, what is Tracy Eiler doing to keep herself entertained? I am, you know, I feel like I'm in Little House in the Prairie, which was my favorite book series when I was a little girl. I probably read that thing 10 times. I am baking. I am gardening. Um, we've become dessert people. It's not good. I'll be right um, over. <laughs> lemon cake is my new thing. And I've always been a huge gardener, but now I have more time. So the garden looks amazing. I grow roses and herbs and all oh, kinds wow. of stuff. So, roses yeah, aren't easy to grow. Um, they're not, but I am a goddess when it comes to roses, I have to tell you. And I'm in a battle, Doug, um, with the deer because we don't live in the country. We live, you know, in a very neighborhoody kind of classic neighborhoody area. It's not like there's big trees or forests around. And I, I, my front yard roses have been decimated a few times until I, uh, I have a plug for a product called Deer Away that you can buy on Amazon that's garlic and peppermint oil and you spray it and the deer don't like it. So my house is the only one on the block with or gorgeous roses and everyone else has been mowed down. So I've been talking to my neighbors about it. Um, 
But oh, yeah, man. roses are are very very fun, um, yeah. and lots of herbs. It's nothing better than going and cutting your own herbs from your own garden and using them on what you made that night. So yes, I'm really into that. That's great. Uh, well, as a deer hunter, I'm just saying I'm I'm here to help. But clearly, I've been hunting in the wrong places. <laughs> oh my gosh! There's one other thing I would love to mention to your listeners, which is there's a new nonprofit that I'm part of called Women in Revenue. You can find out about it at womeninrevenue.org. And we founded at the end of 2018 as an organization to support women in sales and marketing. Um, We have 1,700 members already, which is just amazing to me, and a mentor program that's free and um, quarterly virtual events. So if any of your listeners are interested, check it out. And we need male mentors. We've got to get more mentors in there, and we need our brothers. So this is a call to action for your listeners. Oh, yeah. I will include a link to it in your episode show notes at marketing book details. I'm looking at it right now. Empowering women leaders in sales and marketing looks great. So, uh, Tracy, uh, is there any chance that, uh, Align to Achieve may one day get a second edition? You know, I don't know. I think that's an interesting idea. I'm not sure I have the energy (laughs) to write another book while I'm working full time. I mean, it was this latest round of research and 24 page ebook was about as much as I can jump into. I don't know. I might want to explore something different. I'm not entirely sure what, maybe something around sales development because it's such a good unifying team in between sales and marketing that if I was going to write another book, I might dive into that. We've had a really phenomenal experience in my company growing that team and um, and figuring out how to ramp people quickly and make it a great career path. So that might be the next one. Yes. And there was a lot of good uh, information about uh, SDRs in your report and you quoted uh, some uh, additional stuff from uh, the Bridge Group. Yes. And there's one last organization to tell your uh, listeners to, which is that they are building sales development teams to check out sv.academy. And this organization is about two years old. Their CEO, Raheem Fazel, has a dream of putting a million people to work in the next 10 years into tech from non-traditional backgrounds. Um, and sales is the path. And so we now hire our sales development people from SV Academy and they they come into the job with um, 12 weeks of training on how to be an SDR, including training on systems and software. And, and I can't recommend it enough if people are trying to hire in that function. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. And I have a uh, daughter downstairs who just graduated from college. <laughs> yeah. And she's exploring a lot of these things now because uh-huh. of course she had to come home early for yeah, you know. she would be the, a great target. Um, quite a few of our folks are right out of school. Um, and then I'd say the other half are people that maybe are five years into the into their career in sales, but not in tech or in, um, in B2B tech. So for example, one of our best SDRs right now worked in the um, Fifth Avenue Apple store in Manhattan. And she was one of the genius level sellers, right? Um, she did that for four years, then did SVA. Another guy on our team for five years was running sales for a very large carpet store that would sell large contracts to um, apartment buildings and other places. And so Garrett uh, was one of their top sellers and then their sales manager, but he couldn't get into tech because he hadn't been selling tech. So now that he had the SDR experience through SV Academy, he gets hired at a company like Inside View and he's delivering a million dollars in pipeline a quarter. It's unbelievable. 
Wow, that's terrific. Well, we've got some great links in your episode's uh, show notes. Well, Tracy Aller, it's been great catching up with you. A lot of fun. I enjoy uh, this topic so much. And congratulations on this latest study. And thanks for joining us on Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. I hope you and the family all stay uh, safe and healthy. Thank you so much, Doug. It was a pleasure talking to you again. It's always such a riot. And, uh, and go Ducks. Go Ducks. But I'll have you know, Tracy Eiler, I have interviewed four Michigan grads, and I've introduced uh-huh. all four of you to each other. Because after about the, the fourth one, I said, man, these Michigan grads, what is the deal? Uh-huh. They write really good books. It introduced is. all of you, and all four Michigan grads are going to be on Authors in Quarantine getting cocktails. So, oh, that's awesome. They must be well, big drinkers I mean, there in Michigan. Well, the Wolverines are still, I mean, I'm Wolverine through and through, but my one and only child is going to University of Oregon. I have to become a duck, right? Yes. Like, you know, and luckily they don't play each other, at least I think they do in basketball. So that'll be interesting. We'll have to get some like divided jerseys or something. Um, <laughs> right. It'll be fun. All right. Well, thanks very much. Thank you, Doug.